Tonight we're looking at Exodus chapter 7 and 8. I gave an overall title to these two chapters, Who is Like the Lord? But for chapter 7, I titled it A Hardened Heart. And I did so because we find that the Lord had already instructed Moses that Pharaoh would harden his heart against the word that Moses would give to Pharaoh to let the children of Israel go. And in fact, we find that there would be a repeated hardening of the heart of Pharaoh. And we're going to discover a little bit of the truth behind that as we go into chapter 7 tonight. And also in chapter 7 and 8, we begin the plagues of Egypt, looking at several of them tonight, beginning with the first plague of the water becoming blood and then taking us through the fourth plague and that of flies in the land of Egypt. And we're going to look at that from a different perspective in the sense that uh, maybe not different to you, but with the understanding that God was doing something not only to prove himself strong in the sight of the Egyptians, but also coming against the gods of the Egyptians. And so these plagues have significance in that the Lord was showing himself mighty in the children of Israel, also in the children of Egypt, but specifically targeting the gods of Egypt with these plagues. And so we'll begin looking at four of the ten plagues that God would bring upon the nation of Israel tonight. We begin in verse 1 of chapter 7. It says, So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, shall be your prophet. Now this was in part because Moses had not originally accepted God's total plan for his life. He actually complained to the Lord when the Lord finally called him to go to the children of Israel. He did not want to go. He argued a bit with the Lord there on the mountain of God, there at the burning bush. And at one point he said, I don't speak very well. And then he said, send somebody else by the voice of anyone else, just anyone else but me. And God said, well, your brother Aaron is coming out to meet you here in the wilderness and he shall be your voice. In Exodus 4.16, God responded to Moses' complaint by saying, Send by the hand of whomever else you may send. God said, So he shall be your spokesman, speaking of Aaron, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. So we desire as believers today to hear from the Lord and to be used by him to speak uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit to hear from the Lord. In fact, the Lord would cry out to the prophet Ezekiel to hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. But for Moses, he would hear a word from God's mouth, relay it to Aaron, and then Aaron would be the one who would give warning and speak a word. And so, again, God re reiterates what he had told Moses on the mountain of God, that Aaron will be your spokesman, you will be as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. And so from Pharaoh's perspective, he would have some lessons to learn with Moses and Aaron coming before him. God had desired Moses to be the instrument of his deliverance. And his unwillingness to wholeheartedly answer God's call caused Moses to share that call with his brother. I don't think it's necessarily bad to share a call that God places upon your heart with others. In fact, I've often said from this pulpit over the years that I've been here that many hands do easy work or light work. I would rather not have to do it all and I don't do it all. But we are to individually desire to fulfill the call that God has placed upon our hearts 
individually and then corporately we combine those giftings and God can use them for his glory. Presently, God was building the spirits of his reluctant messengers, both Moses and Aaron. They've already stood before the Egyptian king and caused trouble to come upon the children of Israel. And so God basically repeats the earlier instructions that he had given to them. In verse 2, he says, You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron your brother shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of the land. At the same time, God was doing something at a spiritual level in the heart of Pharaoh. And I believe he would continue to do this throughout the sign of the rod turning into a snake as we'll read about in the moment or the ten plagues God is working on the heart of Pharaoh at the same time but he also once again tells Moses in advance what he would do to the heart of Pharaoh in verse 3 and going down to verse 5 I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt but Pharaoh will not heed you so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have stretched out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. So Moses, again, was to hear from God, communicate that message that he heard from God to Aaron, Aaron then would relay the message, the word of the Lord, to the children of Israel, but also to Pharaoh. Yet Pharaoh's heart would continually grow hard against the Lord, which would cause God to do signs and wonders in all the land of Egypt. And in the end, God would deliver the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, and the Egyptians would know that I am the Lord. Remember, when Moses and Aaron first came to Pharaoh in Exodus 5, verse 2, Pharaoh responded to their request to let the children of Israel go. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So Pharaoh had asked the question, Who is the Lord? And God said, I'm going to show you who I am. Moses and Aaron's initial audience with Pharaoh gave Moses the opportunity to introduce Pharaoh to the God of Israel. And at that time, the Lord was in none of Pharaoh's thoughts. But by the time the Lord finished multiplying his signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, both Pharaoh, his people, and the children of Israel would all know that God is the Lord. So the Bible tells us, verses 6 and 7, Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded them, so they did. And Moses was 80 years old, and Aaron 83 years old, when they spoke to Pharaoh. Moses and Aaron, they took courage and did all that God commanded them, even at their great age. Now, admittedly so, according to the Bible, They lived longer lives back then. So an 80-year-old who's going to live to be 120 may be more like, I don't know, maybe 40, 45 years old if we would try to compare it. He, He still had another 40 years ahead of him. I don't believe that I have another 40 years ahead of me. I don't picture being 101 years old. It could happen, but I doubt it. But no matter the age, we're never too young, we're never too old to follow God's call on our lives. Psalm 105, 26, I'm going to keep jumping back to Psalm 105 because we find in each, almost all of these sections that the psalmist wrote about these events. And in Psalm 105, 26, the psalmist tells us he sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron who he had chosen. So the first sign, these signs that Moses and Aaron did before Pharaoh, 
here to turn the rod of God into a snake, we find that this was one of three signs that God had given to Moses while he was there at the burning bush on the mountain of God. And now he had, is going to reveal that sign before Pharaoh. But he had already shown this sign, although they don't go into detail about it, to the children of Israel. And showing that sign to the children of Israel caused them to believe and worship the Lord according to Exodus 4, 29 and 31. However, Pharaoh, who was accustomed to supernatural events of occult worship, we might say, he would not believe in the Lord God. And so he's going to have a whole different take in response to seeing the rod turn into a snake. Uh, this rod turning into a snake, it caused Moses to believe. Uh, no doubt Aaron and the elders of the children of Israel to believe. But for Pharaoh and his wise men, his magicians, sorcerers, they would just see it as another magic trick that they too could also perform. So it was, verses 9 and 10, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, when Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, show a miracle for yourselves, then you shall say to Aaron, take your rod, cast it before Pharaoh, and let it become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and they did so, just as the Lord commanded them. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. But then they had a battle, a battle of the uh, rods, the battle of the snakes. Pharaoh, verses 11 through 13, called the wise men the sorcerers. So the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. For every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents. I wonder how Moses and Aaron felt at that moment. They thought they had something that they had no doubt never seen before. But suddenly it's like, oh yeah, we can do that too. So all the men threw down their rods. They became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. And Pharaoh's heart grew hard. He did not heed to them as the Lord had said. So the Egyptian sorcerers doing the same gives evidence of the satanic influence that was there and is there probably to this day in the land of Egypt. In fact, we read about two of these sorcerers in the New Testament when Paul, in his last epistle, writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, verses 8 and 9, he says, Now, as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Corrupt men, a men of corrupt minds, disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifested to all, as theirs was also. So Janus and Jambres, Moses would ultimately show their folly, as Paul referred to it. He said, just as it had happened in Moses' day, so it would happen in the day that Paul lived in. For those men of corrupt minds, it would eventually be revealed. We have no further information concerning Janus and Jambres in the Bible, except for what is found here in 2 Timothy 3, as far as their names are concerned. But according to Jewish tradition, they were two Egyptian magicians, magicians, not music. Maybe they could play music. I'm not sure. But magicians who opposed Moses, the demand that Moses gave them to free Israel. And so they sought to duplicate the miracles of Moses in an attempt to discredit him before Pharaoh. And this is something that Satan always tries to do. Wherever Satan might attempt to triumph God, we need to understand that God is always greater. As seen through Aaron's rod, swallowing up the rods or the snakes of the Egyptians, and still Pharaoh's heart was hardened. 
We need to know that in this world we might see a lot of deceptive things, but we need to know that God is always greater, as John reminds us in 1 John 4, 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And that's something we just need to often remind ourselves of, that God who is in us is greater than he, the false gods of this world, he who is in this world. And so it was, Psalm 105, verse 27, they performed his signs among them and wonders in the land of Ham. And so the psalmist referring to the work of God through the hand of Moses and Aaron. We come to the first plague, it's water turned into blood, verses 14 through 25. And this is the first of ten plagues that God brought upon Egypt, and here turning the water into blood. And we begin reading in verses 14 through 17. So the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning, and when he goes out to the water, you shall stand by the river's bank to meet him, and the rod which was turned into a serpent you shall take in your hand. And you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now, you would not hear. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. See that once again, the Lord saying, By this you shall know. God is teaching Pharaoh. You shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood. So the Nile River for the nation of Egypt to this day, it represents life to them. We have uh, TV commercials talking about the uh, special cotton that is grown there in the delta of the Nile River. Well, this happens because, and I don't know how much they control the Nile today, but there was the annual flooding of the Nile River, which caused the silt of the river to come up on the land there to make it very um, fertilized and fruitful. The overflowing of her banks would really result in life, not only water of drinking, but it provided for them with the crops that they were able to grow and the rich, fertile soil that they had there. So the Nile represented life to Egypt. But as Moses and Aaron came down to the water that day, and the Lord, picking up in verse 19 through 21, the Lord spoke to Moses, say to Aaron, take your rod, stretch it out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their streams, over the rivers, over their ponds, over all the pools of water, that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in buckets of wood and pitchers of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded. You see a little repetition there for Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded. All they were doing is what God instructed them to do. And that's all we could ask of ourselves. And so it was, he lifted up the rod, he struck the waters that were in the river and in the sight of Pharaoh and the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood and the fish that were in the river dried, the river stank. The Egyptians could not drink the water of the river so there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. And the ten plagues are more than just supernatural phenomena, but God showing the Egyptians that their gods were no match against the Lord God who created the heavens and the earth. Some of these gods, and I went on a list of Egyptian gods, and they, they varied depending on what, the years you were looking at, but they had just a long list of gods. And so I was looking through the long list, trying to identify certain gods that may be connected with the Nile River here, connected with frogs, connected with uh, flies. And, and we'll look at these as we go through it. But there was a god named Kanum, 
also known as the great potter, and believed to be an early god of the upper Egypt. And the early myths of this god is that he fashioned human beings from the clay of the Nile River and then held them up high to the light of Ra, the sun, to give life to them. And then humans were placed in the wombs of those. It's kind of a stork thing going on here. The humans were placed in the wombs of those who would give birth to them on the earth. And so he's depicted as a ram-headed god symbolizing fertility there in the land and so connected to the Nile itself. And then there is Satis, the goddess of the south border of Egypt, that she sometimes seen with Kanum, the god of the Nile, that it's believed that she is linked to that of the Nile itself. But also I was thinking about this. It was not just the water turning into blood. What happened in the water? When the water turned to blood, the fish died and the land stank, according to the New King James. And they worshipped fish as well. Hatmit was a fish goddess worshipped there in the Delta region. Her name means foremost of the fish. And so they worship fish as well. And so their water of life turned into blood. Their little gods of fish that they worship uh, dying on the shorelines. And Psalm 105:29, he turned their waters into blood and killed their fish. But we find that the magicians did so. In verses 22 through 25, the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. And Pharaoh's heart grew hard. He did not heed them as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went out into his house. Neither was, he, was his heart moved by this. So all the Egyptians dug all around the river for water to drink because they could not drink the water of the Nile. And seven days passed after the Lord had struck the river. And so it seems that, you know, the water, it took a little bit. And in that culture, much like in parts of Africa today, where daily you go to get water, no doubt many people were heading to the Nile to get the water there or to their, the wells of water and water that they had in the buckets. It didn't matter. God hit them all. Everything was, had turned into blood. But here we find that the magicians, the sorcerers, also were able to imitate this sign. It caused Pharaoh's heart to just grow harder, as God said it would. But they had to search for that water. And water is a big deal in every nation of the earth, of course. But in the dry and arid climates like that, you don't go long without water. But sadly, they were looking for physical water that could never satisfy the spiritual need of their souls. Jesus, in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, sat by the well of Jacob when a woman came out, a Samaritan woman, to gather water there. And Jesus asked her for a drink, as we know. And at one point, he told the woman in John 4:13 and 14, whoever drinks this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And so water being so important even to this day for physical life, but also Think of Egypt. They had been going after false gods. That's all they knew. But now they were being introduced to God, the creator of the heavens and earth. And he would show himself mighty in their presence. They were searching for water that could not satisfy. As so many in this world search for things that will never satisfy. But Jesus Christ said, if you come to me, and drink. I will give you that living water and you will never thirst again. Before we move on, I'm surprised we're through chapter 7 already, but 
Before we move on, I want to just look at this hardening of Pharaoh's heart. There in the Hebrew, we find that there are three words translated as hardened in the Hebrew language. Quizak means to fasten upon, to seize, to bind, and it's used ten times in this account, and it is mostly connected to God, Quizak. Kashaw means to be dense, cruel, or to make grievous, and it refers to God in Exodus 7.3. Kashaw refers to God hardening Pharaoh's heart. And Kabed, it means to be grievous, to harden, to be heavy, and it's found six times, and every time it's found, it's referred to Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And so here we find that we have God telling Moses at the beginning, before he did anything to Pharaoh, he told him the incondition of what Pharaoh's heart would be, that I am going to kashaw, I'm going to harden his heart, I'm going to make it firm. And then from chapters 4, verses 21 through 14, 8, we have an interchanging of the two Hebrew words, quizak and quabed. Uh, sometimes it's referring to Pharaoh hardening his own heart. At other times, it's God making firm the condition of Pharaoh's heart. But ultimately, we discover that Pharaoh first hardens his heart toward the Lord and the children of Israel. And then in the end, God will come in and make firm the condition of Pharaoh's heart. Again, we find this is something that God does to this day. That as people continue to harden themselves against the Lord, to disbelieve the word of God or the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they are hardening their own hearts, one day God will make firm that decision for them. Where Paul wrote in Romans 2 verses 5 and 6, but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render each one according to their deeds. So the question, maybe it's not, why did God harden Pharaoh's heart? The question we should be concerned with is how's the condition of my heart before the Lord. Have you found that living in this world has had a hardening effect upon your heart? Oh, we need to be careful. God may bind up or make firm that condition of our heart. But on the other hand, has the hardness of this world actually softened our heart towards Jesus? And that softening of our heart towards Jesus results then in our salvation when we come to him and cry out to him, in life-saving faith. And it's Jesus who is able to soften our hearts that we might be saved. So it is in chapter 8, I titled this chapter, The Overall Study, Who is Like the Lord, this chapter, No One Like Our God. When Moses and Aaron asked to let Israel go, Pharaoh, he had originally said, Exodus 5, verse 2, Who is the Lord that I should obey him? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. And through the ten plagues, and we've only had one plague at this point, God would reveal to Pharaoh and to the children of Egypt and the children of Israel that there is no one like the Lord our God. So the second plague, that of frogs, verses 1 through 15, picking up in verses 1 and 2, the word of God tells us, And the Lord spoke to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all your territory with frogs. <laughs> frogs, frogs, everywhere frogs. And during the second plague, frogs came up from Egypt's rivers, ponds, into all their land. This plague caused frogs to be found in the houses. Hey, honey, I'm going to bed. It's full of frogs in their bedrooms, 
on the bed, on the people, in their ovens. Hey, could you get some flour? Well, let me get the frog out of the way first. You know, I want to make some bread. Frogs were everywhere. It would kind of make you like not want to do anything at that point. And so it was, verses 3 and 4, the rivers shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into your house, into your bedroom, on your bed, into the houses of your servants, on your people, into your ovens, into your kneading bowls. And the frogs shall come upon you and on your people and all your servants. Well, once again, the Egyptians, some Egyptian out there, developed a religion around worshiping frogs. Haket was the goddess of fertility and childbirth and depicted as a frog or a woman with the head of a frog. I don't know if that's such an attractive image of a woman with the head of a frog, but when you're willing to give in to the deceptive lies of Satan, you end up worshiping pretty strange things. So the Lord may have been saying to Egypt, so you want to worship a frog, do you? I'll give you so many frogs that your souls will be repulsed. And so it was, verses 5 through 7, the Lord spoke to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your rod over the streams and over the rivers and over the ponds and cause the frogs to come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and they covered the land and the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs on the land of Egypt. So frogs were everywhere. It didn't matter if you were rich or poor, slave or free. Frogs covered the land. What is crazy to me is that the sorcerers counterfeited the plague. They already had a multitude of frogs everywhere, and it's like, let's make some more frogs. We love frogs. We worship frogs. I don't see how they could want more frogs. And so it was. Picking up in verse 8 through 11. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord. Remember, he had said, who is the Lord? Now they're asking, could you talk to the Lord for me? Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. So the multitude of frogs led Moses and Aaron to have an audience with Pharaoh who asked them to pray to God, to talk to God that he might take away the frogs. And here we find... Pharaoh promises to let Israel go, but this is the first of many false promises or compromises that Pharaoh will offer to Israel. So it was, 9 through 11, Moses said to Pharaoh, accept the honor of saying, when I shall intercede for you, for your servants and for your people to destroy the frogs from you and your houses that they may remain in the river only. And he said, tomorrow. And he said, let it be according to your word that you may know that there is no one like our God, like the Lord our God. And the frogs shall depart from you, from your houses, from your servants, from your people, and they shall remain in the river only. Although Pharaoh did not believe in God, who is the Lord, and why should I listen to him? Why should I let your people go? He began to learn about the Lord God of Israel, maker of the heavens and earth. And Moses gave Pharaoh the honor of naming the time. Personally, I would have said you could do it right now. Pray now. But Pharaoh said, wait till tomorrow. I love worshiping our frog goddess, Haket. And so I don't mind having a million frogs jumping all over my palace. Wait till the morning. And then the frogs can depart. I don't know why he didn't say today, but hey, I'm no pharaoh over the land of Egypt, so I'll never know. But we discover, or Egypt discovers, that they have another stinking God. Verses 12 through 15, Then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs, which 
he had brought up against Pharaoh. So the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, out of the courtyards, out of the fields. And they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. And so it was. Pharaoh hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said. Verse 15. Once again, the psalmist records this event in Psalm 105, verse 30. Their land abounded with frogs, even in the chambers of their kings. So it shouldn't surprise us that Pharaoh's heart grew hard after God delivered their people from the plague of the frogs. I mean, this is a common scenario that's repeated often in people's lives. People will get in a bind. They'll get in trouble. They'll cry out to Jesus and they'll say, Lord, help. And then the Lord will deliver them. And once delivered, they forget to give praise to the one who has delivered them. Worse yet, they often repeat the cycle over again. They cry out to the Lord. The Lord delivers them. They go on with their life. They get in trouble. They cry out to the Lord. The Lord delivers them. Here's an interesting verse in Isaiah 26.10. Let grace be shown to the wicked, yet he will not learn righteousness. In the land of the uprightness, he will deal unjustly. He will not behold the majesty of the Lord. Let grace be shown to the wicked, but he won't learn righteousness. I mean, that's the desire that we would learn from our mistakes, that we would better ourselves, but there are people who will never learn. They'll never, though they may cry out to God, never truly believe in the one who delivers them. So the third plague, dust into lice. And this takes us in verses 16 through 19. We pick up in verse 16 and 17. So the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your rod, strike the dust of the land, so that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so, for Aaron stretched out his hand with the rod, struck the dust of the land, or the earth, and it became like lice on man and beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. I haven't been to Egypt. I've been to Israel. It's a very dry and arid area and uh, quite dusty. I assume since they are in a similar region of our world, that Egypt itself is quite a dusty place. Imagine all the dust becoming lice. So God who formed man from the dust of the ground now makes lice come from the same ground. Now I was wondering about this in the attack of God against the gods of Egypt we think, did they worship lice? And so I looked up a Jewish author on this, and this is what he said. First, it must be noted that the plague of lice is not about the lice per se, but that the lice emerged from the dust. The earth, of course, should be a source of growth and fertility, but in this case, it was made by God to manufacture these unpleasant creatures. Once we acknowledge that the plague is related to the dust, then the proper place to look in Egyptian mythology is for a god of the dust, not gods resembling lice. And so Gib is that god, the god of the earth and growing things. And they worshiped everything. But also, one of the Bible commentators said regarding this, this plague may have also been a, an attack against the God of the desert, Set, the God of the desert. Also, it may have been a direct attack against the Egyptian priesthood. The priests prided themselves in purity with their frequent washings and shavings, the wearing of linen robes, and the Lord polluted the religionists with pesty insects. And again, Psalm 105.31, He spoke and there came lice in all their territory. 
Have you ever been chased out because of, in fact, I was just thinking of uh, taking the kids. I, I should do this more often. They're, now they're getting big. But I did take them fishing for a while when they were younger. And we went down to a place where I had fished on the Dust Plains River uh, when I was younger. And I remember that area and just a nice place. And I, I didn't think about, you know, 20 or 30 years passing and it had become a forest. And at that time, it was infested with mosquitoes. And we basically got chased out of there. I mean, fishing's fine, but the mosquitoes were so bad, it's like, we're out of here. We can't handle this. And that's how it was for them. But here, the magicians could not do so. And the Bible tells us, now the magicians, verse 18, so worked with their enchantments to bring forth the lies, but they could not. So there were lice on man and beast. They could not copy this plague. And so the sorcerers came to Pharaoh and said, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had said. And so now the sorcerers realize that this is something beyond their capability. This is beyond any of the gods that they had worshipped. This, they said, is the finger of God. Paul wrote about the false gods, the so-called gods, as he named them in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, in verses 5 and 6, he said, For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we live. Though there are many gods that people worship throughout this world, for us, Paul said, there is only one God, the Father, and his Son, Jesus Christ. And the fourth plague, our final plague for tonight, taking us through the end of chapter 8, verses 20 through 32, we find that God does something different here. He makes distinction between Israel and Egypt. Once Israel discovered that God could make distinction between uh, the children of Israel and the children of Egypt, I'm sure there's some of the Israelis that thought, Lord, couldn't have you done this earlier? Why do we have to have all the lice too? But he makes distinction here. And this is part of the teaching process as well probably for both the Egyptians and Israel themselves. And so we pick up in verses 20 through 23. And the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water. Then say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and on your people, and into your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies, and also on the ground on which they stand. And in that day I will set apart the land of Goshen, in which my people dwell, and no swarms of flies shall be there, in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. And I will make a difference between my people and your people tomorrow, this sign shall be. So the swarms of flies would be everywhere upon Pharaoh, upon his people, in their houses, on the ground. Yet with this fourth plague, God makes distinction between the Egyptians and the Israelites. No flies would be found swarming in the land of Goshen, where they had dwelt since the day that Joseph set them there over 430 years earlier. Now, it is true that in this life, believers and unbelievers, Jesus taught us that God allows the sun to shine upon evil and the good, allows the rain to fall upon the just 
and the unjust. Jesus taught us this in Matthew 6.45. Yet sometimes God makes clear distinction between his children and the children of the world. Malachi 3.18, God promised to do this. Then you shall discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. And so Pharaoh, he gives this compromise. He comes up with this idea how he could maybe keep control of Israel and get rid of these pesty plagues. And so the Lord did so. Verse 24, thick swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh, into his servants' houses, into the land, all the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted because of the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God in the land. That's the compromise. They were asking initially to go on a three-day journey, to go out of the land. Here Pharaoh compromising, saying, Sacrifice to your God in the land. And Moses said, verse 26, It is not right to do so, for we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. If we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, they will, will they not stone us? We will go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he commanded us. Now, don't take too much into this. Uh, Moses talking to Pharaoh here about their sacrifice. There's just no compromise for Moses. It's like we can't do it in the land God said to leave. And of course, Moses knew that they were never going to return. But this is what Pharaoh offered first, a compromise to allow the people to worship God but to compromise in their worship of God. Yet the Bible is clear in 2 Corinthians 6.17 where Paul cries out, Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. God calls us out of this world not to compromise with the world itself. And I, I tell you, I didn't write any of this in my notes, but I think... In the last two years, we've had numerous churches compromising in their worship of Jesus, giving in to the government saying, yeah, you can do this if. And so how are we going to worship the Lord? Are we going to compromise our worship? Because it's only going to get worse. It's not going to get easier. So we need to decide how we're going to stand. Moses and Aaron already knew they were going to not compromise what God had called them to do. So it was, verses 28 and 29, Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you shall not go very far. Another compromise, intercede for me. So not three days, go a day into the wilderness. Again, just another compromise. Then Moses said, Indeed, I am going out from you, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh, from his servants, from his people. But let Pharaoh not deal deceitfully any more in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Thus Pharaoh conceded to their demands, but he did ask, Don't go very far. All right, if you're going to worship Limit the number of people that you have in your sanctuary and space out every 15 feet. All right, I could really go into this, but we know that we are being asked to compromise, right? So there is a, a debate as to whether the Hebrew should be translated as flies and, and or beetles. Now we know that if you look at any Egyptian lore, that they are fascinated with beetles. They make brooches out of them. They wear them as costume jewelry and stuff. But maybe not flies or gnats, but possibly beetles. And there was a god that represented 
the form of this beetle, it was, let's see if I can pronounce this, Kepri, an aspect of Ra, the sun god, his form was that represented of the beetle itself. So it wouldn't surprise me, flies and or beetle, because we know that beetles are connected to Egypt itself. But again, 105 verse 31 of Psalm, he spoke and there came swarms of flies in all their territory. So the psalmist repeating this event in, in one of the Psalms. So it was, verses 30 through 32, Moses went out from Pharaoh and treated the Lord. The Lord did according to the word of Moses. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also. Neither would he let the people go. Not one fly. I just thought as I was reading that of when flies get pesty, around here in a dry summertime where they're looking for moisture and they tend to start biting us to try to get it. Imagine if that's how it was for them. Not only flies, but flies that bite. Or beetles running around all over the ground, whatever it might be. Moses prayed. And the plague of flies retreated from the land of Egypt. Not one was found there, yet Still, Pharaoh hardened his heart, just as God said he would. It would take more than a rod turning into a snake, gobbling up a bunch of other rods that turned into a snake, and then turning back into a rod again. It would take more than a bloody Nile and the multitude of fish that had died, the frogs, the lice, the flies, to soften the heart of Pharaoh. According to Numbers 33:4, God sent these plagues to execute judgments upon the gods of Egypt. And soon Moses and Israel would proclaim regarding the Lord God. Pharaoh had asked, who is the Lord that I should listen to him or obey him? But in Exodus 15:11, Israel would proclaim, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praise, doing wonders? Over 600 years later, King David would have one of these who is like the Lord moments when in 2 Samuel 7:22 he proclaimed, Therefore you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, nor is there any God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And God himself proclaimed to Isaiah in Isaiah 45:5, I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no other God besides me. I will gird you, though you have not known me. God said, I am the Lord, and there is no other, no other God besides me. Paul would write to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, saying, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Who is like the Lord? No one. There's only one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. And only through Jesus and no other can we be saved. Let's go ahead and stand here at Calvary Chapel Lake Villa on Wednesday evenings. I've been going through the ABCs of salvation for over a year now. I just want to get it into our heads, get it into my head. You may never know. Well, you may need to recall this. I thought about many years ago when Pastor Greg Laurie came to the Chicagoland area and I was working the floor during the altar call on the second or third night there. I, Lily and I had worked each of the nights there. But on the final night, I don't know if a, a lot more people came down or they had a, a lot less uh, counselors that night suddenly I found myself surrounded by seven different people at one time. So I simply said to all seven, I'm going to talk to you about what it means to be saved. I'm going to go through the process with everyone. 
And then I would like to pray with each one of you individually. And I think there was one couple there as well. But so I, I kind of did a blanket. This is what it means to be saved. And then I ministered one-on-one. You never know when God will uh, use you in that way. I'm so glad that I had enough knowledge stored up at that point to be able to do something like that. When I was in my 20s, I probably would have been, uh, somebody help? So I'm trying to help, trying to help us all. The A is for admit. Admit to God that you are sinners and ask for his forgiveness. In Romans 3.23, the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But 1 John 1.9 reminds us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have to admit to God that we are sinners. The B is for believe. Believe in the work that Jesus did upon the cross, his death, burial, resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of the Father, and receive that gift of salvation. Romans 5.8 tells us, but God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We have to believe in the work that Jesus did on the cross. The C is for confess. Confess your faith in Jesus and share that faith with others. For the Bible tells us in Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10, 13. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I hope you know that and you know Jesus tonight. If somebody's listening on our radio station tonight, watching through social media, you have questions regarding faith. And we received one of those questions last Wednesday from one of our radio listeners from Kentucky, I think. That was kind of cool. But if you have questions, you pray to receive Jesus, please email us at cclv at comcast.net. I'd love to correspond with you, cclv at comcast.net. This coming Sunday, we're continuing our chronological journey through the Gospels. It's going to bring us to the birth of Christ. I know Christmas just went by a, a, not even a whole month ago, right there, right? But we're going to talk about the birth of Christ from Matthew's gospel and also from Luke's gospel. But we're just kind of meshing the four gospels together. And this is where we find ourselves. Uh, I look forward to being with you either here at Calvary Chapel, WLGS Radio, or through our social media sites. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your work in our lives. The hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Lord, it was something that you told Moses would happen. But we also find that Pharaoh was doing some of his own hardening of his own heart. And there was a point, Lord, where you would just make firm his decision. I pray for those, Lord, who have hardened hearts toward you, Lord. They're in a similar way harden their heart against you like Pharaoh did, maybe not to the extreme. But if they don't turn to you at some point in their life, you will at one point make firm the condition of their heart. I pray, Lord, that those who would hear my voice would never get to that place, but would instead give their heart to you, Jesus, that they might be saved. I pray, Father, Again, for those who are sick and suffering, for the friend of this fellowship, Spark Ball, tomorrow his daughter down in Tennessee, uh, they're delivering her baby a little bit early because of some concerns, and Spark went down to be with his family. Today I pray that you would be with them, that the child, though the doctor's already realizing the child is small, Lord, that the child would be fine and that you would be in this situation. Spark's first grandchild. So, Lord, I just pray your hand be in this situation. Father, we also uh, 
received a prayer request about a pastor out in California that died. Again, another pastor dying, Lord, and and people, Lord, are we hear of these reports happening. So we pray for the family and their church, bring comfort to this situation. I pray for those who are sick and suffering. I pray, Lord, that we would be lights to you and that we would let our light shine in this age that we find ourselves in. We ask in the name of Jesus, amen. I pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless.